Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in princes, in mortal men in whom there is no salvation, no help. When his spirit leaves him, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts and plans perish. How blessed and graciously favored is he whose help is the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Our hope is in the Lord, and that's why we praise him. We don't praise man. We don't put our trust in man. We don't put our trust in man-made systems. We put them in the Lord God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, our Abba. So, Abba, I praise you. I praise you for my home, for my wife, for my family, sons and daughter-in-laws, our grandson, our furry kids, and all that you've given us. We thank you. I thank you. Without my salvation, I don't have those things. So I thank you for that. I thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. And I praise you for your provision and your protection over me and all my brothers and sisters. For the dreams and the visions and the things you're showing us and the patience you have in us. I praise you for your healing virtues which are still available to each and every one of us. I praise you, Lord, for your favor, divine abiding favor, and the revelation that you give us for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. And I praise you for the signs that you're giving us to get ready for your return. I want to pray. I want to pray for the peace of Israel. May they prosper who love you. Psalm 122, verse 6. I pray for America, Lord. And as I thought about it, I just said, May God shed his grace on thee. We need God's grace and mercy right now. Pray for the fatherless, the widows, the persecuted, and the martyred, the innocent, and those who are victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both natural and animal. Pray for the missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, that satanic, diabolical business that for whatever reason has not been stopped. But we know that you'll stop it once and for all. Until then, we pray for them. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, the religious persecution, the anti-Semitism. Lord, we're, we're thankful, but we pray. Seventy-six years ago today, Auschwitz was liberated, and people saw the horrors of the Holocaust firsthand. Pray for boldness, the boldness of the Spirit to touch us as we can stand against the spirit of the Antichrist, which is increasing and preparing for its unveiling 
But, Lord, may we stand against it and pray against it and delay his arrival. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as each and every one of us get back to our divine design. Healing in all who are injured or sick right now in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit. Praying for divine protection, that Psalm 91 covering over each and every one of us. For inspiration, the fire of the Holy Spirit to rise up inside of us. For the remnant to wake up, rise up, answer the call to action. You are needed. For those who are called to bless, to be a blessing. If you've been blessed, be one. If you know somebody that's been blessed, let them know. We pray for the doors to open, not just for the documentary that we're doing, but for each and every dream and vision and mission that your children have, that we would prosper in accordance with your word for your kingdom. And we pray for our lost family members. I want to ask for prayer for a friend of mine. You know him as Carmen. He's a Christian singer, very popular in the 80s and the 90s. I've known Carmen for about 30 years. He needs prayer. He's had a rough go of it since 2013 when he found out that he had an incurable form of cancer. It went into remission, but then um, recently it came back, but he was in the hospital for surgery for a, a hiatal hernia, and something went wrong. Um, he's got pneumonia, his problems with his kidneys and his liver, and even though he's stable, he's not out of the woods yet. So keep my paisan, as I call him, which is friend in Italian, um, in your prayers. Woody in Central Florida's prayer request for his father's found out he has cirrhosis of the liver from his alcoholism, and yet he still refuses to stop drinking, and his health is in pretty bad shape. So he's asking for prayer, prayer for his father to come to his senses, and most of all, for his father to get saved. Junior in Oklahoma recently, uh, he asked for prayer for his dog, Biscuit, who has um, something going on in his ear and about 80% of it's healed. He's just asking for healing for it to be completely gone. Kim in Fort Mitchell writes, I am grateful for the relationship I have with my Father in heaven. I know who saved my soul, who keeps me sober every day. I'm grateful for my children, my family, my husband, uh, Bruno, our dog the porch community, and all of her friends. She says, Father, thank you for everything, everything you do, even the stuff I can't see or understand. Seems like we found a temporary solution to save my mom's house, at least for a while, and I praise the Lord for it. Father, please continue to provide so that I can hold up my end of the bargain. Protect my family from the enemy. Keep us safe. Praying for the porch families and for Woody's dad. Father, give him the courage to call on your name. Deliver him like you did with me. Father, protect my family in Germany and save souls in Jesus' name. Lord, you're all we have. We can't trust man. We can't trust the world. You are all we have, and that's the best we could have. So we come to you now as your children. We boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, crying out, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. We love you. We thank you. We worship you. We adore you. And we know that you love us and adore us. And I, Father, I pray right now anybody who does not know that would feel it. They would suddenly be enveloped in your love and feel your warmth, your arms around them. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb, for the upper room. We thank you for everything you did, for being the word. And speaking into our lives, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit so that we can be connected to you in the throne room. We're never alone. You're always there. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us and remind us and encourage us and walk with us. That you open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you want us to have. Not just this night in this word, but in all days and nights and in every word in your Bible. So we take our thoughts captive. We cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. We ask you to bless us. We ask you to speak to us, protect us, and watch over this time. In Yeshua's name, amen.
These lessons are proprietary information except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's your kingdom we seek, Father, your power and your glory. And that's why we talk about this journey into the promised land. For everything you did and everything that you showed us. You were as good as your word on the 40th year of the Exodus. They got to the River Jordan ready to go in and you kept your word. Only Joshua and Caleb made it from the adult males from 40 years prior. Just like you said, your word is true. And you promised them an inheritance, a divine inheritance, one that you paid for, one that you bought, one that you committed to. The problem is the enemy came in and squatted on that land. So the divine inheritance must be cleansed from the demonic presence of the giants, the offspring of the Nephilim of Genesis 6. Moses and Aaron are gone. Joshua is now the leader, and he's going to take them into the promised land. Joshua, the son of Nun, full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. The people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Wisdom, it was going to take wisdom, it was going to take courage, it was going to take you having prepared Joshua for this moment. By him walking with Moses, filled with zeal for you, the Lord God, and being built up into the leader that Israel would need to enter the promised land. He always waited behind to spend more time with you when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting. I would love to know what you said to him, Lord. If you ever want to share that, I'd like to know what those times were like. He was bold. He was courageous. He was honest. He had character. And he was a servant to Moses, a minister, one who walked with him and served him. And now he's going to do that for you. He's going to lead Israel into the promised land, battle against their enemies, and begin this journey. In Joshua chapter 1 last week, we saw God's commission to Joshua, verses 1 through 9, and basically you can boil it down to this. Be obedient. Rely on my word. Don't be afraid or discouraged. I am with you just as I was with Moses. So here we have a new spirit, a new leader, and a new journey. If you remember in Joshua chapter 2, he sent two spies two men from Acacia Grove, to go into Jericho and spy out the land. So they went in. And by spiritual coincidence, which means it wasn't coincidence at all, they come to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they stay there. Now, before you do anything for the Lord, even though he's ordained it, you have to Consider the cost. You have to prayerfully examine it so that you understand it. Don't blunder into it. So he sends these two spies in to discover the strength of Jericho, a city strategically located at the pass leading from the Jordan Valley into the Central Highlands. And this specific mission is because Joshua intends to take Jericho by force, which means he's completely unaware of the miracle waiting for him. Little information about Jericho. It was an oasis near the Jordan River, believed to be the world's oldest inhabited site. The name is derived from the Hebrew word moon, implying it may have been a center of worship 
for various lunar gods. Archaeologists state excavated remains anywhere from 9,000 to 7,500 B.C., making Jericho the oldest city in the world and arguably the world's oldest civilization. Ancient Jericho covered approximately 10 acres with the city's circumference of one mile. Not all that big. But you know what? Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. As they head into the promised land, they're going to have to take city by city. And this one is a walled city with gates that are locked closed at night. But it's on land that was promised to Benjamin. Go with me to Joshua chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain. And I'll explain what they were doing coming down from the mountain. And crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. This is the new generation. These are not the ten spies that moaned and groaned and didn't believe that they could take the land. These are two spies that know that the Lord God has given them the land and the people are in fear of them. So they slip into Jericho. Unfortunately, the king of Jericho found out about it. I guess when you have a a city that small and you have eyes everywhere at all the gates, you can spot someone who's new. And just so that you understand, Canaan, the land of Canaan, consisted of city-states, each with its own king, its own army, and its own government, which I think correlates to the fact that it was settled by the Nephilim, which were in tribes, and each tribe had their own king and leader, and each one was separate, and we see that in Canaan. We see the imprint of the Nephilim, the giants, on Canaan with their city-states. So they go in, and they just happened to come upon Rahab, a Canaanite, a harlot, And she hides them from the king on her flat roof. She hides them under dried flax. And when the king's uh, pursuers come looking for them, she misleads them and says, oh, they've already left and they went east. So the king's pursuers go in that direction. So what do we have here? Well, we have a harlot, which is a common word for prostitute. So she's not a temple prostitute. Maybe she's been reduced to prostitution by the death of her husband or the needs of her her impoverished family because in their history and in the scriptures, I'll show you, there's no mention of a husband. But if they were going to hide any place, Rahab's house is the place to do it because of the constant flow of traffic coming in and out. It's an inn run by a harlot. Obviously, prostitution is going on there. And oh my goodness, thankfully, these two spies did not have a religious spirit and decide, oh, we can't go in there and we can't take her help. Somehow, they knew that the help they were getting was divinely inspired. God had sovereignly led them to the one person in all Jericho who not only would help them, but believed in him. You see, out of all the population in Jericho, she's the only one who reached out to the living God, and he, in turn, saved her. We find out in Joshua 6, verse 25, that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her father's household and everything that she had. And she lived among Israel to the day that the book of Joshua was written because she hid the scouts whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Her actions in caring for the Israelite spies in enemy territory demonstrated a faith in the God of Israel that is praised later on in the Bible, Hebrews 11.1. 1. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received 
despise with peace. James 2.25, in the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works too when she received the Hebrew spies as guests and protected them and sent them away to escape by a different route? She then explained to the spies why the people in Jericho were afraid. Now, when you hear this, I want you to understand something. If God's in it, He's in every part of it, even in the part you don't see and you don't understand. Joshua chapter 2, starting verse 10. This is her speaking to the spies. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. See, the conquest of the land and the destruction of its inhabitants were acts of divine judgment decreed by Almighty God, the Lord God. And it was being carried out through acts of obedience by Joshua and the sons of Israel. But look at this. He made a way even before they knew that it was there and that they needed it. What does Rahab say? For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And Rahab uses God's personal name, Yahweh which in the Bible translated as Lord. Somehow, in the midst of Jericho, in the midst of Canaan, in the midst of all the ugliness and the depravity, Rahab had come to faith in the living God. God had graciously, graciously opened her heart and mind, the heart and mind of a Canaanite prostitute to accept him as Lord, to not Look down on anything God puts in your way to get the job done. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Seek and see if he's doing something there that your natural eyes cannot see. But see, what we're, what we're seeing are acts of faith. Because... Moses, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 26 through 31, he prophesies over Israel what will happen to them. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day and that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And when you are in distress, all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to you. I'm going to tell you right now, America's in a time of distress. We have not done, we have not been obedient. The church has not done what it was supposed to do. We've said, oh, uh, uh, the Lord um, God is, you know, America is his. Wake up. Do some homework. Do your history. And you'll find out, even though we've slapped his name on it, and we say in God we trust, we have slapped demonic symbols all around it. We've been killing babies nonstop. 
for since the 60s, Moloch's being fed every day by the thousands, and we say that he is the Lord God of America. It's time to repent. It's time for the church to get on their knees. It's time for us to look at these lessons here and understand that even in his love, he will allow us to be chastised, which is what he did with Israel. But he made a promise to them, I will not forsake you. In the latter days of the future, which became by definition to the prophets, the age of the Messiah. And they would turn to the Lord. But you know what? God would bless the nation when they returned to him. And I believe he'll bless America when we fully return to him. Until then, we're going to be in distress. Until then, we're going to see the demons dancing in the street. Until then, we're going to see an encroaching darkness. But you know what? In that darkness, you can arise and shine. You'll be seen better in the darkness than you have been in the light. So the covenant has both blessings and curses. Unfortunately for them, they would be overtaken by the curses too. But a Canaanite prostitute found favor with God. Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Jeremiah 29.13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Rahab made a dramatic statement of her faith in the Lord. He is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. She understood somehow the sovereignty of God. Doesn't say that she had a Torah. Doesn't say that she had access to the word. But somehow she understood that he is sovereign over heaven and earth in language that is reminiscent of the Psalms. Psalm 113, verses 5 and 6, Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heaven and in the earth. It resembles the confession of Melchizedek to Abram in Genesis 14, verses 19 and 20. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high. Blessed be Abram of, Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So in the midst of all this depravity, there's no gospel, there's no evangelist, there's no Christian television, there's none of that going on. Non-Israelites have come to faith, true faith, in God. His mercy has reached other nations. Isaiah 65, verse 1, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. That's how we got in. That's how the Gentiles got in. That's how the grafting got in. That's how all of this happened, because he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He was preparing that way even then. And when these people heard about him, when they heard what he could do with this new nation, They didn't have courage. They were afraid. Their hearts melted in them for fear of the Israelites. They were left breathless by what they've heard of what God could do through them. Oh, boy, I wish the church had that. I know that there are some of us that do what we do, myself and my team, SRT, Without arrogance, in total humility, I will tell you that the enemy knows when we're coming. And they know that their defeat is imminent. Israel's reputation had gone before them. Terror had fallen upon them. Why? Because God had dramatically delivered them in many ways, and the report spread throughout the nations. If only we had a church 
an ecclesia, a called-out group of people, not some building somewhere, whose exploits were such that people got saved, healed, and delivered. And the reports went out, and the nations heard it. We've had moments, the Wells Revival, Azusa Street, those true revivals that changed the entire principality that they were under. Oh, people tell me, oh, the church is doing great things. They're doing great damage. And I say, where? Show me. Show me cities where the bars are empty and sin is stopped and abortion clinics are closed and nobody wants them. Show me places where people drive within the geographic principality and they're so overcome with conviction they cry out to God, save me, cleanse me. I long for those reports. But I will tell you, when we honor him, he gives honor to us, and that's what he was doing for Israel at this moment. They haven't even crossed over yet. And Rahab mentioned two miraculous deliverances. First of all, the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land and the victories over the two kings east of the Jordan, one of which Og, we know for sure, was Nephilim. He was a giant. I would suspect Shehan was too. But here she is, and she's negotiating. She made the two men promise to spare her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all that they had. And they promised to spare them, provided they would remain in her house and that they would keep what they were doing a secret. And when you hear her mention everybody, she doesn't mention a a husband, which is why many think that she was doing prostitution to pay the bills. Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us this land, we will deal kindly and truly with you. Later on in verse 17, they say, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless we come into the land. When we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. What you're getting is a picture that when they get in, they're going to slaughter everybody. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And and if you tell this business of ours, when we... Then we'll be free of your oath, which you made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Another great thing here, we don't see a lot of us people keeping their word, making promises and following through. So she lets them down by another cord, not the scarlet thread, through the window. Why? Because her house is built upon the town wall. And she gives them directions to make good their escape. And what she does is when she sends the king's soldiers east, and she sends them west, which is the opposite way which they came, which means they have to circle around and come to get back to Joshua. You know, sometimes going out of your way isn't a bad thing. It might be God. Maybe the journey's taking a little longer because he's doing something you don't understand. So her house is obviously built into the wall rather than on top of it. And this refers to the fact that Jericho's walls were 12 feet thick. They were double walls, doubly thick. And they obviously built homes and things inside the walls. And obviously... The homes are probably not very lavish. They were very humble. And it's a place where a poor prostitute could live and for God's grace. 
Everybody wants the glamour. Everybody wants the accolades. But he does everything he does in humility. He starts you in the humility because if you can't handle that, then you can't handle the, the favor. So they give him, they give her a scarlet cord to hang in the window as a sign of the agreement that they had made. And they would tell the armies to, to pass by this house. Do not go in and slaughter the inhabitants. The scarlet cord signifying the color of the blood atonement, very much like Exodus 12, verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Verse 13, Now the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this scarlet cord would enable Israel's army to identify Rahab's house and to spare everyone inside, which is very much a symbolic representation of the redemptive work of Messiah that saves each and every one of us. It also showed me that his desire is to save, not to destroy He didn't send Yeshua into the world to destroy the world. He sent it to save it. But by by their rejection of him, by their choosing to side with the fallen and side with Hasatan, Satan, they've condemned themselves. Just like in Jericho, everybody else there was condemned. Just as Rahab chose to trust, we do too. The scarlet cord is a reminder of our salvation and the blood of the Passover lamb as the ultimate blood, as the ultimate cleansing of our sins paid on the cross by Yeshua for us. That scarlet cord also represents identification. When she put that cord, that that scarlet cord on her window, She was publicly identifying herself with the people of God. She had no way to know if anybody would look at that and wonder, maybe even figure it out. I'm sure he kept them from figuring it out to protect her because he had a plan for Rahab. But folks, at some point, we have to live and show who we are. And I don't, I don't mean by religious activity or, or the clothes that you wear. I'm saying that, well, let me read scripture to you, Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. At some point, the risk has to be taken to choose a side and let people know what side you're on. Now, don't make a decision and have your life or the actions of your life deny what you claim to be. But sooner or later, you can't hide it. And as we go into this darkness, this dark winter, which most likely lasts until spring. If you know what I said right there, then you'll be given a lot of hope. As it gets darker, they're going to be targeting people that believe in Yeshua. They're going to be targeting people that post spiritual things. I've seen stories on social media, and I no longer have a personal Twitter page. I deleted that weeks ago. I have the Facebook page for friends and family and also for promoting this and the porch and other things. SRT still has a Twitter account, and so does Facebook. um, I'm sorry, Firefall Talk Radio on Twitter, and all those do is promote the podcast 
the Bible studies or whatever scripture or spiritual insight I want to share. But I've heard now is starting to block those too. They're starting to cancel accounts of people who are only posting scripture or spiritual things. This kind of censorship, this kind of demonic activity of the Antichrist, which has begun, we are living in a world that he is shaping to his own image. But I'm going to say this again. He's too soon. He has a problem. A little off my notes here, but the problem that the Antichrist has is that there is a certain order of things that have to happen that have not happened yet. The one of which I believe is the rapture of the church. And even if you don't believe in the rapture of the church, and if you don't, I feel sorry for you because you'll have no hope. I've seen what's coming. But the other problem he has is at the end of the first three and a half years, during the time of Jacob's trouble, we know that the pit has been opened and everything in the pit has been let out upon the earth. He has no idea when they're going to be let out of the pit. And so he could make his move like he did with Nazi Germany and he did with Nero and he did with other people, but then his brothers didn't get out of the pit to help him with the conquest, and so it was squashed. I believe he's in another moment like that. That's my belief. But she had signified, hey, I'm safe. I have found salvation for me and all my household. By implication, she was declaring that she was safe from the judgment and the doom that was about to befall the city of Jericho. And, as already mentioned in Joshua 6.25, Joshua spared Rahab and her family. So God not only spared Rahab and her family when the walls collapsed. Remember, the walls came down on the seventh day, and they fell straight down, which means anybody living in the walls would have been crushed. Not only did that not happen to her, she was also spared in the assault on the city. Remember I mentioned God had a plan for her? Well, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David. See, God's always made a plan. He's outside of time. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. So whatever's going on in your life, he's already known it. He's already seen it. Trust the plan, his plan, not man's plan, not some anonymous person's plan. Trust the plan of God. So here, Joshua, the warrior, is preparing to enter and overthrow Jericho violently. His spies happen to meet Rahab, who hides them in her house. They had to know what she did for a living just by going in there. But you know what? The mission was more important. The outcome was more important. And I see no evidence anywhere, whether in the Bible or in Jewish teachings, that they were going to reject her in any way, shape, and form. They were not repulsed by her. They were not offended by her. They understood that they needed her. So she protects them. She, she lies. We can say she misled them and tells the king's servants where they were. And then she counsels them to hide in a mountain and go west while the pursuers were going east. God's already got all this figured out. It's already been laid out. Before he inspires Joshua to send the spies into the land, this was already done. Their mission was ordained to succeed. And God had protected them in an extremely unexpected way. We need to learn from this. We need to pay attention to the details. We need to take it step by step as we're moving forward with God. 
We may not understand. We may not like. He may make a decision that wasn't what we were pleading with him for. But we have to trust that he knows best. So when you go through your life, having listened to this and learned from it, may take you two or three times. Maybe you need to download it. I don't know. Maybe you can start paying attention to the details. Maybe you can begin to recognize the threats and the dangers in your life, natural, supernatural, financial, uh, relationships, spiritual, whatever it is. Maybe you could look at every aspect of your life and foresee a solution or a problem before they arise. Maybe it will help you to consider God's power to protect you as he did the spies. He can make a way for you where there seems to be no way. Remember that God, your Father, is greater than any danger or enemy in the world. 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, little children, believers, dear ones. You are of God, and you belong to him, and have already overcome them, the agents of the Antichrist, because he who was in you was greater than he, Hasatan, Satan, the fallen, who was in the world, the sinful mankind. I'm not saying take them lightly. I'm not saying ignore the threat, but I'm saying understand who you are. Understand the outcome will be what glorifies him. First John 5.19, we know for a fact that we are of God, and the whole world around us lies in the power of the evil one, opposing God and his precepts. Look at all those years ago today when they, when they freed Auschwitz and all that happened during World War II and all this that Hitler, who I believe was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, all that he did, the millions of people he slaughtered, the vile, demonic things that he did. There were always people that had hope. There were a people of a resistance, which is what I think the remnant is, who always believed that victory would come. We know that this world we live in is not our home. It's a fallen world. It's run by evil people. We see it every day in the news People in power making decisions that have nothing to do with the people they claim to serve. They're self-serving decisions. And as much as I get angry and frustrated, I know who my daddy is. I know that the Lord God, he is God of heaven and above and the earth beneath. And that he will deal with this. I pray it says to pray for our enemies. Oh, I do. I pray that they get saved. But I also pray that if they're beyond saving, if they're reprobate, if their names will never be written in the Lamb's book of life, let him make examples of them like he did in Jericho. This world needs a come-to-Jesus moment. Our nation needs a come-to-Jesus moment. We need to understand who he is. We need to understand he's no longer a baby in the manger. He's not coming back as a baby or a child or a man. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And by the enlightenment and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, who is much greater than Satan, who is the spirit of error, and all those that promote the error, including the false teachers in the church, If we listen, if we learn, true believers will overcome the danger and the deception of these days. You are eternally secure in God's love when you walk with him. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. They can take your possessions. They may even take your life. But they can't separate you from God's love. Nothing, absolutely nothing natural or supernatural can separate you from his love. Nothing hard or dangerous, neither death nor life, can separate us. If God Almighty is for us, then no created thing, natural or supernatural, above or below, can separate us from him. We are secure in him. Our security is absolute. I believe that without knowing what we know, Joshua and those that were with him as they entered the promised land had a faith in God that had been tested in the wilderness. They had seen what he had done. They weren't like the whiners and moaners that their parents and grandparents had been. They trusted him. And see, that's the next move of God. The next move of God is from people who've been through the fire, who've been through the flood, who've been in the wilderness, and who trust him. Our security is guaranteed by the person of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, and God himself. He's your dad. He may not always do what you want him to. Good fathers don't always give their children everything they want. They give them what's best for them. You can't be separated from his love no matter who sits in any house, anywhere, in any place in the United States or the world. They can't separate you from him. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've won. And through the example of Rahab and everything we've seen so far, his desire To redeem those who call upon him and believe in him cannot be frustrated, cannot be stopped. It's infinitely greater than any potential enemy. Let me let you in on a secret. Well, it's really not a secret. It's in the Word. His plan will be realized because it's his purpose. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Open yourself up. Open your heart up. Open yourself up to the presence of your Heavenly Father and of your Lord. Get alone with him. Speak to him. And ask him to reveal himself to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit. See, Rahab knew the facts. She knew about the twelve, the the thick walls. She knew about everything. But she also knew that God was doing something and wanted to be a part of it. How? She'd heard the testimonies. She'd heard the stories of how God had parted the Red Sea for Israel when they left Egypt and how he led the children of Israel from victory to victory. That's why your testimony is so powerful. That's why it's so important to share with people what God does with you. One of the most important factors to bringing people to faith in Messiah, to getting them saved, healed, and delivered, is them seeing God work in your lives and the work of his people. Now, there are going to be some people that are going to choose darkness and sin over that. But you know what? That's their choice. You can tell them the truth. You can love on them. You can pray for them. But you can't choose for them. But you must show the world that we handle ourselves differently. We handle our problems differently because of who we know. And as I've mentioned time and time again, I've had people come to me, and after sharing with them what God has done with me, 
in their brokenness cry out, I want that, and get saved. But Rahab hadn't only heard what God had done, she heeded it, she acted upon it, she put personal faith in the Lord God of heaven and earth. So pay attention to the small details. Follow the example of Rahab. Don't get so focused on the destination that you miss out the blessings on the journey, that you miss out on what he's trying to show you in the process. Oh, Father, what a heart's cry that's been for me all day. And my brother Larry, as I shared with him what you were sharing with me, and we miss out on the blessings. We miss out on the small details because we're so fixated on the destination. We're so fixated on what we want, we miss the details. We miss the view along the way. We miss the lessons learned. Right now, speak to your children, Lord. Speak to each one of us in our lives, areas that we have not paid attention in the journey. Show us things that we've missed. Let us learn from them. Let us assimilate them. Let us apply them in our life. And let us stop looking to man for answers. Let us stop looking to programs for answers. Let us set our eyes on you. Let us set our eyes on our word, on your word, and trust in you, not in man's words or schemes or plans. So many of your children are led astray by programs and false teachings and things that take their focus off of you and put it on a a formula. Let us learn that even in the midst of her sin, even in the midst of everything Rahab was doing wrong, she knew who you were, and the moment of her salvation was coming, and then she got it, and she became a part of the lineage of the Messiah. What a reward for her faith. I wonder what she thought when she found out. Lord, help us right now. Speak to us. Speak to your children. Set us free of the false teachings. Set us free of the false expectations. Set us free of all the lies and the false promises. Let us get focused on you as we make our journey into the land of promise, into your promises. Lord, I'm asking for searing, exposing fire of the Holy Spirit to hit us. We don't want to carry Egypt with us. And we don't want to be kept out of the promised land because we tried to carry things with us that shouldn't have made the journey. So right now, in the name of Yeshua, be free. Be set free of anything that you're carrying with you that is not of him. See it, recognize it, reject it, and let it go. Lord, I pray all these things. And I thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for this Bible study today. I want to thank you for spending time with me and showing me Rahab in a way that I'd never seen her before. It took a lot of faith and it took a lot of guts, but she believed in you and we believe in you, and I pray all these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.